Welcome to Dr. Cindy Speaks. Regular musings and reflections on politics, current events, and life as a congressional candidate. Dr. Cindy Banyer is a mom and small business owner fighting for our water, our health, our community. She's running for the people of Southwest Florida, trying to flip Florida 19 from red to blue. Listen as she speaks truth to power and gets real about being a mom and a candidate. All right, everybody, thank you so much for joining us here today. This is Dr. Cindy Banyer with Dr. Cindy Speaks, and we are recording this podcast live on October 29th at 8.20 p.m. We are just ahead of the general election here. Lots of things have been going on in the state of Florida and across the U.S. ahead of the general election. And tonight we're going to be talking about the environment. It's something that we, in the midst of COVID and the economic crisis, have sometimes not put as much of a priority on. Although for us here in Southwest Florida in particular, this is a very, very important issue and usually is the issue that is the top issue for everybody in the state of Florida, especially here in Southwest Florida to be talking about. So we're going to spend some time this evening talking a little bit about our water and our environment. And it's going to be a very important discussion for us to have and focus on that long-term issue for us here. But while we're waiting for our guest to join us, uh, let's talk a little bit about what's going on here. So like I said, we're just ahead of the general election. Basically everything that the candidates have done to date is going to determine the election because we are at over 50%, I believe, in our district and many districts across the state of Florida, uh, because we have had vote by mail going on for almost a whole month. We've had early voting going on for coming up on two weeks now. And then we still have election day turnout. And so we're going to have a really amazing turnout. Democrats uh, across the state of Florida have turned out more voters thus far than their Republican counterparts. In Southwest Florida here, Collier County and Lee County have the highest Democratic turnouts in the state of Florida, which is just amazing and really a testament to how much we have been working here uh, across multiple organizations, across the local parties, uh, and with grassroots candidates like myself and the folks that I've built a coalition with. And we've really energized people and gotten people engaged. And I, I think we're really going to see some great and surprising results for us scrappy underdog Democrats come election day. So I'm looking forward to that. Other issues and things that are going on in Florida we, of course, are seeing the very well-predicted spike in coronavirus cases. Uh, we knew that after the phase three opening or reopening that we were going to see these spikes. We are seeing them again. Uh, as of yesterday, Lee Health System here in Southwest Florida was saw a 93% staffed bed occupation rate, uh, which means that they that they only have 7% of the beds available with staff to be able to take care of them. This is a definite uptick. We had been down around 80, 85% 
it during one of the lulls here, and we are definitely ticking back up. Our positivity rate for COVID uh, in the state of Florida currently is at 12.8%, which is indicative of massive community spread as well as uh, just a, you know, as a doctor I had met a really long time ago, it said a rip roaring virus. <laughs> and um, a lot of folks want to pretend that this is uh, not a big deal. Donald Trump staff the other day actually gave him a gold star and said he had ended the pandemic. And they all patted each other on the back and just talked about what a great job they did at ending the pandemic. Unfortunately, outside of the White House, there's the reality of the pandemic still continuing to go on. And in fact, the days before the White House had made such a statement, they had actually seen the highest cases uh, of the entire pandemic. So I think it was something around 80,000 cases over two days. What uh, we had seen just before the, the White House had proclaimed themselves the victors over the pandemic. And so, of course, this is uh, not over. And one of the things that a lot of naysayers of the coronavirus like to say is, oh, well, you know, it's only got a, you know, a one or two percent, you know, fatality rate. And um, that's a horrific thing. Let me just start by saying that. Um just to say and be so flip about people's lives. But what's even more amazing about it is when you think about that in terms of numbers, right? So it is true that the total case fatality rate currently in the United States sits somewhere, depend, uh, depending on the date, of course, between 2 and 3%. And that, of course, that sounds like a number, a small number, 2, two to 3%, no big deal, right? Now, if you keep in mind that that is two to three percent of the over eight million Americans who have gotten this disease, you come at the number that we have been talking quite about a lot about over the past several weeks, which is that we are well over 200,000. We're over 225,000 Americans dead from this. And although there are some groups of people who fare better, and it does seem that um, children in particular um, have a much, much lower case fatality rate, it is actually our seniors who are most significantly affected by the coronavirus. And if you are over the age of 55, your case fatality rate skyrockets. And in fact, for those 85 and older, it's 20%. So great, great to say the totality of Americans, uh, the case fatality rate is only two to three percent. But, you know, when grandma gets it, you know, sh her survival rate is much lower. And that's what's so awful about this virus and about the people who want to pretend like it's not a big deal is that for each one of those 225,000 plus Americans who have died from this, they have a family and they have children and loved ones and a community that will miss them and that this did not necessarily have to take their life right now, but it did. And it goes back to the abject failure of Donald Trump and his administration. And I actually had learned something today that brought that home even more for me. I had met with a sitting congressman 
who was on the intelligence committee. And he had shared with me that, and it was his utter dismay that since the beginning of January, Donald Trump had no less than 11 briefings between January and February on the coronavirus and the severity of the coronavirus. And he did nothing about it. Nothing at all. And that's awful. Um, he just chose to pretend it was going to go away. And we heard all of that, all of that, between what he had told Bob Woodward and what we heard in the multiple press briefings from Trump's own mouth, talking about uh, it's not a big deal, it's going to be like magic, or you can just take this, you know, magic cure. He was never very serious about it because he always wanted to pretend it was not a big deal for his own image. And, and meanwhile, um, countries around the world were successful at curtailing the disease and being proactive about it. Uh, but instead, we just dithered. And here we are, end of October. And we're looking at an uptick in cases, just like the epidemiologist told us was going to happen. And more people are going to die. And it all goes back to Trump knowing about the virus, lying about the virus, and then allowing Americans to die for his own vanity and political purposes. All right, great. It looks like we have our special guest in here with us today. We have Dr. Jeffrey Van Treese. Dr. Van Treese, can you hear me? Yes. Can you hear me now? Yes, we can do it now. There we go. Thank you so much, Dr. Ventries, for being here with us today. So why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself and our shared passion for the environment? Oh, my pleasure. So, uh, so my name is Jeff Ventries. Uh, I'm a uh, scientist and attorney. I uh, originally uh, went to law school and uh, was practiced commercial litigation for a while. I went back and got my PhD in soil and water science and uh, worked in a lab for a little while, and right now I am uh, ended up becoming a full-time teacher. I'm at, uh, I teach at a Title I school, Palm Beach Lakes Community High School, and I also teach at Palm Beach State College. So I teach environmental science coursework as well as uh, business law. So over the last number of uh, months, I've just been so, you know, I've always been very progressive, um, involved in a number of progressive leaning organizations, but I just, it just got so bad. The leadership is so bad that I just really had to get involved uh, more. And uh, so I ended up getting involved in the Democratic Environmental Caucus, uh, where I was elected, where I became the chair of our Palm Beach chapter, as well as our media relations chair. And it's just been really wonderful uh, working with our incredible caucus, as well as uh, Getting to uh, getting to know our leadership here at the uh, Florida Democratic Party. So, definitely think green. Uh, think green, vote blue. Uh, that's our <laughs> motto, and uh, yes. we definitely need to work very hard to get uh, Democrats elected for the environment as well as for a lot of other issues. But certainly, we are racing towards catastrophe uh, with uh -huh. climate change, and we have a number. We have uh, one party that is. Uh, interested in suppressing and denying the reality of science. Uh, we're seeing it right now with COVID uh, as far as them, as far as uh, Donald Trump and all of his 
lap dogs in Congress and as well as uh-huh. the governor here in Florida that are just uh, that are just lockstep with his uh, false narrative. And we uh-huh. need to fight that with everything we can. So that's why we're looking forward to getting you elected on November 3rd. Uh, can't wait for, uh, for you to take over this seat. Uh, and I know it's, it's tough, uh, but, but I, I have uh, faith that you can do it. And I think you'll make an amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, got connected because I uh, was proud to earn the endorsement of the Democratic Environmental Caucus. And um, I'm just so a very proud candidate in that respect. And uh, that's where I met Dr. Uh, Ventris through that work and our shared passion for science and for saving the environment. So let me ask this, Dr. Ventris, you know, based on your work and both your, you know, your professional capacity and then your work with the Democratic Party, what do you think is the biggest environment and science related issue that we need to address right now? Well, certainly climate change uh, is at the top. And and everything else that sort of flows from that. So we have this extremely, uh, this extremely destructive false narrative that it's either the environment or the economy, right? Like we have to pick one or the other, and that's not the case at all. In fact, there are what there are so many jobs that that desperately need to be filled. So much work that desperately needs to be done in terms of revamping our infrastructure and uh, changing our energy portfolio from fossil fuels, which are which emit greenhouse gases, to mm-hmm. clean renewable energy. There is an enormous opportunity for people all the way from the highest skilled people all the way down to lower skilled uh, individuals that can participate in this effort. And there, but, but there, there needs to be a change in priorities. We, there's, there actually needs to be in our policy, which again is why I'm so excited that that you're on the on the cusp of, of winning this seat, mm-hmm. as well as other Democrats, of of using the power of the federal government in order to create incentives for businesses and uh, our energy sector to go in that direction, uh, to to employ people doing things that are doing work that's very useful that's going to change us over to renewable energy, and we'll stop the polar ice caps from melting. Uh, there's already a lot of uh, damage that's been done, and a lot of it's irreversible, mm-hmm. but we still have time. And, uh, and the alternative is if we don't do it, we're going to have enormous death and destruction. Uh, we've seen with COVID over the last few months, uh, or better part, uh, since March, we have gotten a lesson on what happens when you mess with Mother Nature. Uh, you're not mm-hmm. going to win that, right? And so we have to adapt. It's what we call adaptive management. And adaptive uh-huh. management, one of the things that I, I teach to my uh, students, is this concept called adaptive management, which is that the scientific realities, uh, they don't adapt to us as human beings. We have to adapt to the scientific realities. And so uh-huh. it, it doesn't really matter whether we, whether people, whether you believe it or not. Gravity yeah. is going to work. Gravity is a reality whether you believe in it or not. Uh, yeah. Greenhouse gases trap heat. That's what they do. That's what they've been doing for uh, billions of years. And there's a demonstrated, uh, it's it's not debatable. If you look at the uh, geologic record of the earth, we see that that greenhouse gases have always played an enormous role in uh, changes in climate. Uh, You know, there there was, for example, a huge warming period that occurred in the Cenozoic era uh, where Mm -hmm. we had, uh, we had methane hydrates. Methane is a greenhouse gas that were released into the atmosphere as a result of a volcanic outgas, for example, and there's other examples. 
Uh, and what we're doing now is we are the rate of increase of our uh, greenhouse gas emissions, uh, whether it's methane, carbon dioxide, sulfur dioxide, and so forth, uh, that, are, that are released from fossil fuel use, has, has gone at, a, at an exponentially increasing rate. And that can only lead to one result, uh, which is we're going to have dramatic shifts in climate. We're going to have uh, sea level rise because the ice sheets are melting and will continue to melt. Uh, we're also going to see uh, we're going to see uh, uh, mosquitoes and other uh, insects and other uh, uh, disease vectors that are going to be spreading into more temperate regions, and it's going to yeah. create uh, human. Uh, it's it's going to create a, a, a huge human uh, human rights human. I mean, because really, uh, environmental uh, security is a is a human rights issue. Uh, we're mm -hmm. going to see. Uh, enormous uh, e uh, economic devastation, and we're going to see uh, a, a, a huge amount of suffering. It's just, it's predictable as the sun rising in the morning that these things are going to happen. They don't have to happen. That's the really the sad part. It's like watching a car crash in slow motion because we're doing yep. this eyes wide open. We know the predictable outcome of what, what happens. I mean, you, it's really, quite frankly, at a middle school science level almost. It's a <laughs> Uh, you know, greenhouse gases trap heat. That's what they do. Uh, uh -huh. This is something that you can you can teach to middle schoolers. Yet we're still legislating. We have a president that denies the existence of the greenhouse effect. It's kind of like denying the existence of gravity. It's just uh. it's not going to work out. It's it's uh, it can only lead to one outcome. And yeah. incredibly, and unfortunately, we've had we've we have this massive propaganda machine that's been going on for many decades. That uh, that attempts to sow doubt uh, in in our in the minds of people, of, of the minds of the American citizens about whether this is real, whether this is uh, debatable, whether it's whether okay. uh, this is a hoax, uh, and it's real. It, it's extremely destructive. And I don't know other than you know you have the Koch brothers and you have all you have all of these okay. interests that have uh, played such a role in in uh, brainwashing people into not believing science. Uh, that okay. it's uh, there, but but I, I don't. I really don't know what they're getting at. I mean, it's just you know, what what kind of world do we want to inhabit uh, with with this kind of destruction? It's, it would be the end of civilization, uh, civilized uh, civilized uh, human life on the planet yeah. if this were to uh, were to continue indefinitely. And so, it, it's just something where the adults in the room, which in this case would be. Uh, our elected officials. Uh, hopefully, you'll uh -huh. be sworn in on in January to do this. That can uh, yep. that will actually use the power of the federal government to take a leadership role, not only at reducing our greenhouse gases here in the United States, uh, but also around the world through re-entering the yep. Paris Climate Accord and actually taking a, a an active, productive role as opposed to an obstructive role in this effort. Yeah, absolutely. You're, you know, it's just so important. It's, and it's so funny that you said that this goes back to like middle school science. You know, I teach um, at the university level uh, about global studies and global warming is one of the issues that I cover. Mm -hmm. And I actually have a very basic graphic, just like you described about how greenhouse gases work and how the warming factor works. And I said, yeah, this is probably something that you learned in science class, you know, going back to, you know, 
I said fourth grade, but, you know, early on in somebody's academic learning, they learned that this is a phenomena in our planet. And, um, you know, but that's how these other factors play in and the the admittance and the pollutants, they they warm our planet. And of course, there's um, I teach systems thinking through that lens as well Mm -hmm. to try to get people to understand the interconnections between all of these things. And I wanted to pick up on one other thing that you mentioned here because it's absolutely relevant to my race, and that is the special interest component. So my opponent, Byron Donalds, has got just an outstanding amount of corporate donations um, from all the all the people that um, we know have a vested interest in destroying our environment and profiteering off our environment and hurting our water um, and denying our climate change. I mean, so he has um, direct pack dollars coming from corporate packs, including Coke Industries, yeah. um, and, as well as Exxon Mobil. Um, and then the water components, and this is not the, the climate change, but, you know, both uh, sugar companies, American Crystals, U.S. Sugars, as well as Mosaic, um, mm-hmm. all have put uh, dollars to the tune of $250,000 just in the general election. And on top of that, he has super PAC funding from Americans for Prosperity, which is a Coke-funded super PAC. Um, and so... It, and, and, and that leads me to the second part of that is the discussions that he leads with us. So he, as a candidate, and in fact, as somebody in the state house in, in Florida, has been towing the line of what these big corporate interests want when it comes to seeding that doubt and um, helping to confuse people about the issues and something that he said in some of my debates, and this is where I want to have your feedback on is that, and it was a line I hadn't really heard before, but the, the flipping of the environmental justice component of it. And he said, and this is in, once I saw the FEC filings where he had the um, oil and gas industries directly depositing checks into his account um, was that, well, uh, what he would say is economies run on cheap energy. And if we put all of these environmental regulations in uh, to appease the environmentalists, that um, it is going to cause the, the price of energy to go up. And that is inherently going to hurt the poorest people in the country and hurt our economy overall because all of the industries require cheap energy. Now, have you come across this type of argument before, and and what should our response be? I, I think that you know that that, that argument is so insane that uh, at, at least as far as saying that environmental protection is going to have a negative impact on the poor, if that if that is true, then that means there's something so dysfunctional with our economic system that we that there needs to be dramatic change. Uh, th- this idea again of the economy, we, we it requires cheap energy. The uh, the ener- the do, doing using fossil fuels, which are going, which is going to create environmental devastation, is the most expensive way you could possibly produce energy. Uh, the other thing about it is the uh, to the extent that it's cheap, uh, would only would only you know of course that's that's a matter that's a matter of uh, debate. Uh, about whether it's cheap or not, but as mm-hmm. far as the, the price, 
the oil companies are subsidized to the tune of $20 billion a year, courtesy of the taxpayer, right? And uh, we also prop up regimes around the world, uh, like Saudi Arabia, who we are best friends with, the, 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 uh, also the biggest sponsor of Islamic terrorism in the world, right? That we, that we gave half a trillion dollars in arms to. Uh, the country that produced 15 of the 17 hijackers on 9/11. That's the that's where uh, you know that that's the that's our best friend because they are the ones that 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 you know give, give us uh, oil at at a uh, at a reduced rate. However, that is not going to uh, that that's not sustainable. And so this concept of the environment uh, is is going to we, we need to continue using the, the, doing these incredibly destructive things, both on a geopolitical level uh, as well as on a, on a natural or environmental level, uh, is just insanity. And it's not as though there aren't alternatives. Uh, the, just like the government subsidizes uh, terrorist uh, regimes uh, in order to get oil, just like they subsidize mm-hmm. oil companies uh, with billions of taxpayers' dollars, the way that we give them access to our offshore drilling sites, which, by the way, are owned by the federal government. So it's, I mean, they, that's, that's federal land. It's not, it, it's, uh, you know, they give them the, they give these oil, these fossil fuel companies, the privilege of drilling on land that's supposed to exist, or waters that are supposed to exist for the benefit of the American people. Mm-hmm. And so just like we subsidize it, through all of these other means, all of, all of these very destructive methods, we can also subsidize clean energy and actually save the planet in the process. So it's a very backwards way of thinking. You know, I think about it like, you know, you or I, you know, if, if we were to uh, see someone throwing garbage on the side of the road or, or somewhere, uh, we'd probably say something to that person, or at least we would... Uh, we, we would want to report them or, or, or indicate that, no, that's not okay to do that. Uh, yet, if it's done by the fossil fuel industry, we're supposed to say, well, that's just business. You know, we don't, you know nobody has the right to pollute the water that you or I drink or the air that we breathe. Uh, and yet, that's exactly what people like your opponent are saying that they should be able to do. And uh, it, through this propaganda campaign that's been going on for, for many years, uh, they've, we've managed to brainwash people into thinking that this is somehow the only way that we can produce energy is this way. So it's, uh, this is something that needs to be seen as, as something that we, we require, that we are asking the American people uh, to, to get involved with uh, and, to, uh, and to potentially en- you know, enter into the sector of clean energy and to get behind it. But it's, again, very difficult because all of the corporate PAC money is controlled by this fossil fuel industry that want to keep things exactly the way they are, uh, regardless of the amount of uh, human suffering and devastation that results from it. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's a very difficult hurdle to overcome uh, because it does involve, it is a complex issue, and it's hard to communicate that to people when you have somebody giving a very simple answer like that. As far as the environmental justice component, uh, this is something that we see here in the state of Florida. We don't have to look too far to see it, uh, right? So you have, uh, you know, you look at people that live in the 
uh, out in the, in the Everglades agricultural area, for example. Many of those are low-income immigrant or uh, African-American communities, uh, much more likely uh, to be exposed to things like burning of sugarcane fields uh, that develop, uh, that, are, that are more likely to develop asthma and bronchitis and other respiratory issues that make them more vulnerable to things like COVID uh, or, and produce uh, long-term uh, health threats. So it's, it's just a very, very backward way of thinking. But my understanding is, is that uh, uh, Mr. Donalds does not, uh, he, he also denies the, the importance of wearing masks. So I guess that's what we can expect from someone like that that appears to be very anti-science. Oh, yeah. No, and it's, it's absolutely not a matter of even understanding or caring about the science for him. It's just, it's all personal liberty for him. Um, you know, he attended freely many events which could have potentially been super spreader events around Florida, you know, packed VFW halls with 250, you know, largely senior citizens shoulder to shoulder just days before he tested positive for COVID-19. Oh, he, 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 he tested positive? Your opponent did? Oh, oh, yeah. So sorry. Okay. You weren't even up to date on that. I, yeah, I was no, not. I'm so, I apologize. <laughs> so, many, so many have tested positive. It's hard to keep track. So many I know. Have tested positive. <laughs> right. No, he did. Uh, the, Trump came to town um, a, a week. Was it two weeks ago now? And ahead of Trump's event, it was a mandatory. And this was funny, too. Right. Uh, mandatory for anybody who was going to be in close proximity to uh, Donald Trump to get COVID testing. And so my opponent, Byron Donalds, was supposed to be there shoulder to shoulder with Donald Trump in a triumphant, you know, uh, display of Republican bravado. But instead, he tested positive and got sent home and then become persona non grata and was like not even spoken about at Mm -hmm. any of the events. Um, And uh, but it was a fantastic weekend for me media wise because I got to talk about how important it is to wear masks on every single news channel around Southwest Florida. Well, that was really great. And hopefully, you know, the the silver lining is, is that, you know, when when these uh, these reckless, irresponsible political leaders of ours that, uh, that get sick themselves, hopefully that at least just uh, anybody that is confused about the efficacy of masks, maybe that will convince them like it did with, uh, with Trump uh, when, when he was, uh, when he became infected at the super spreading, super spreading uh-huh. event with Amy Coney Barrett. So yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It's, you know, th- th- thankfully uh, at least you're able to get that message out. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, and, the, and that's the other thing about your, your district is, you know, I know you're in, you're in the Naples area and the, the way that it's shaped. I know that there's a lot of, you know, what we call country club Republicans that might be less <laughs> of the, the fanatic, the fanatical kind that uh, are, you know, we see at these, uh, some of these rallies. And, uh, you know, the ones that think that Donald Trump is the second coming of Jesus Christ. And, uh-huh. uh, and, and they, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what, what's going on. They just, they're the QAnon people. They, they, Mm-hmm. You know that that group of, of crazy people. Uh, I, I don't know if in your district, because uh, I've been talking to a lot of candidates around here that might come from areas that simply where, where the voters are just voting with their pocketbook. They want lower taxes, so they tend to vote Republican. I think mm-hmm. some of those we could pull away uh, yep. this year. I mean, even and I and I don't know what to make of it, uh, but you know, Goldman Sachs endorsed Joe Biden, and you know, even now some Wall Street uh, uh, firms that traditionally would would favor the Republican candidates. Now they're going with Joe, Joe Biden because the 
the ignoring of the pandemic is is uh, caused so much market disruption that mm-hmm. you know there e- even some of these traditionally fiscally conservative organizations even they're now going with Joe Biden. Uh, so I'm wondering mm-hmm. if we could if there you might have a, a shot and I've been talking to like I said a lot of other candidates about this of maybe peeling off some of some of those Republicans maybe not sure. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. There is a huge contingent of that. And just like you said, not everybody who's a Republican here is a Trump Kool-Aid drinker, uh, so to speak. Um, They do believe in science. They do um, believe that COVID is real. They do not want to give their life for the economy. Um, They would prefer to live out the rest of their life, you know, and uh, spend time with their grandchildren. And all of this has really been disconcerting for them. And, And I'll tell you what I said at the beginning of this podcast. I met with a current sitting Republican congressman today. Right who is very concerned about COVID, who enforced, you know, masks in the space that we were, we were all distant and we had, you know, hand sanitized before we got there. We were not, you know, no handshaking, all that other kind of stuff. Um, And that was the first thing that he told me was that it was very disappointing um, that there were so many people who just acted like COVID wasn't a big deal um, because it was a big deal for him, you know, and his family. And just like it is for me and my family and, and many, 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 many other families. And I think that um, anybody who's making that political gamble, that there's going to be more people who are interested in this false sense of freedom and liberty around mask wearing versus sacrificing the, themselves or their loved ones to a virus that could otherwise be contained with a simple act of consciousness uh, toward other people that, um, you know, I, I think that, that that's what we're going to see at the ballot box. And I, I think it's really going to fall in favor of the, the, the scientists and right. the people who um, care about their neighbors. I, I, I really agree. And I, again, this, this, this personal liberty concept, what I would, you know, the, that is so, that is such a, in a, such a ludicrous argument. It would, it would, again, it would be comical if it wasn't so deadly about personal mm-hmm. liberty. The, you know, if, if you were to say, well, I should have the personal liberty to drive drunk, right? If you right. Know, say, well, I should have the personal liberty to drive through traffic lights, drive through a red light, or to drive drunk. That's essentially what they're saying. They're saying mm-hmm. that when they say it's up to the personal responsibility of the, of the person not wearing the mask, therefore we should not mandate masks. It is the equivalent of saying that you should be able to drive drunk. That is, and, and I think that's kind of the message uh, that I've been trying to get out uh, with regard to that. That is, it, it is, it has always been the uh, you know a hallmark of our legal system. We say that one person right, one person's rights end where another person's begins, right? And so we have mm-hmm. the freedom of speech, but we can't yell fire in a crowded theater. Not yep. wearing a mask is like yelling fire in a crowded theater. It, yep. it, it's deadly. It, it, it kills, it literally kills people. So the idea that your freedom extends uh, to something that doesn't hurt you at all, wearing a mask, that your freedom not to do that, which can kill other people, uh, it's just uh, an insane, ludicrous way of thinking. And of course, mm-hmm. it has nothing to do with personal freedom. It has everything to do with the fact that Donald Trump uh, is trying to 
uh, Donald Trump and his lapdogs that follow him uh, don't like to have the image that he has failed so miserably in this pandemic. And so mm-hmm. the mask, the, have every, the fact that everyone is wearing a mask, uh, and I'm not even sure that, 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 that you know, that we, we should be doing that even if our numbers were very low, but the fact that the numbers are as high as they are, the positivity rates are as high as they are, we, you know, we're, we're being forced to wear masks, we're being forced to socially distance, that doesn't look good for him. And so it's uh-huh. all about making Trump look good. It has, really has nothing to do with personal liberty. That's just the nonsense argument uh, uh-huh. that they make. And again, a lot of this also goes back to this predator-prey uh, mentality huh. that uh, has been, again, very intentionally. Again, it's, this is something that has been manufactured over time through propaganda, is to, is to have the American people have this predator prey mentality where it's, uh, you know, I, I'm, I, I don't, I don't have that say that to tell people that we shouldn't have any obligation to our fellow human beings. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's, and that's something that if you look at, for example, Asian countries that have a very, very low community spread, uh, there's a, there's a sense of duty. There's a sense of obligation, at least yeah. to do the bare minimum in order to protect your fellow, uh, uh, fellow, fellow citizens. And Mm -hmm. here that is rejected. That's seen as a sign of weakness. And so, and and that, that, you know, cruelty is confused with strength and, uh, and empathy is confused with weakness. And that's that predator prey mentality that it's real. It's a tough nut to crack with a lot of people. It really is. And so uh, that's, uh, that that I think kind of goes to the heart of this here. And until, you know, when, when, when you look at people that finally saw the light, so to speak, it requires that they, it usually requires that they have suffered a tragedy very close to them uh, before mm-hmm. they say, wow, this is really, uh, this is a really pretty, pretty horrible, this way of thinking, this, this mm-hmm. way of thinking where we, where we view uh, empathy and compassion and caring about our fellow human being as some kind of uh, weakness. And it's mm-hmm. it's really quite appalling, and it's uh, really shame on shame on Mr. Donalds and shame on a- anybody that's pushing that narrative. Mm-hmm. And and the other part of that that is so scary is that when you're in the situation now where we see with both Donald Trump as well as Byron Donalds, mm-hmm. um, and now actually I would even say Byron Donalds is pushing this narrative even more. The narrative that this is not a big deal mm-hmm. is that oh look I got better. Um, you know, and Trump was able to go and get top-notch care, you know, and right. get experimental treatments and, and just like have every single thing with the, the best possible care being thrown at him. And yeah, he, he made it through Byron Donald's in a similar situation and, you know, he is younger, relatively healthy. And so he was able to come through it and not feel as bad, but then, the, the audacity to come out and say, oh, look, I'm fine now. Everybody, this is no big deal. It just playing into this concept that this is like a hoax and that we've, that we've manufactured this for political reasons, um, knowing how many people have died from it, how many people are in hospital from it, um, is, is shameful for, to me because it's, it's really just not recognizing the severity of it or the severity that it might carry for somebody else. That's not that. And the long haulers, right? So we have, uh, right. you know, even people that have had even asymptomatic, 
patients or patients with very minimal symptoms have uh, are now have experienced some some long haul symptoms because this virus uh, actually can infect cells in all kinds of different organ systems. Organ systems. So even though this is a respiratory virus, it it can cause uh, problems with your GI tract, your gastrointestinal uh, system, uh, as well as of course the nervous system. Even. And so we're we're looking at uh, people that are getting brain fog and uh, and depression and all of these uh, all yeah. of these and, and that's the other thing about you know the the, ner the, the nervous uh, nerve cells uh, are are some of the most uh, you know once they're damaged it's almost impossible to repair that so if we're looking at people that are experiencing brain fog and depression now that's very likely to last for the rest of their lives and may even take yeah. years off their lives the long term effect we, we, we're not we're not going to know this for a generation. This could be taking years off people's lives in terms of the long-term damage that this does to, to people's bodies. So it's yeah. it, it is extremely uh, it is extremely it's criminal. I mean, it's, it should be criminal of uh, yeah. what someone like him is doing, saying it's no big deal. Well, you know, say that to the rough, you know almost quarter of a million people that we'll have soon uh, that have died in this country to their family members and to everybody that's experiencing. Uh, these long-term effects, and he certainly is not not qualified or in any position uh, to comment on the long-term consequences uh, of yep. the virus. So it's it's just really uh, it it reminds me in a way what's going on now in, in terms of the in terms of this the subservience, these sycophants that are just bowing to to Trump. Uh, mm -hmm. It unfortunately remind really reminds us of these tin pot dictators that we see. In yeah. much of the developing world, where we have uh, we have people, we just have the, whatever the leader says is uh, what everyone has to fall in line with, and mm -hmm. that's that. And, and he's and he's trying to turn us into an into a, a dictatorship. That's what Trump is trying mm -hmm. to do. We we've seen his uh, assault on our institutions, on our and you, yeah, certainly you, you can speak to this uh, uh, with a lot of the, the college classes that you teach. But I mean, these are. Uh, serious assaults on on our democracy, and it does go hand in hand yeah. uh, with with the denial of climate science and the denial yeah. of uh, medical science with regard to COVID. Uh, because you have to get rid of you, you have to have a misinformed an informed public is inconsistent with a dictatorship right. largely, and so we have to have a misinformed public that you know doesn't know what's going on, so that we can uh, we can so we can we can, they can do the brainwashing that they're trying to do. Fortunately, uh, we do have some semblance of a free press uh, okay. that is standing in the way of him doing that. We have at least some strength in our institutions that are doing that. But I think that what we've seen here, and I think that your opponent is a perfect example of this, is, is our institutions are not quite as strong as we thought they were. Uh, mm -hmm. And you, you see how we saw it with the impeachment when they wouldn't, uh, when when they wouldn't even vote to hear evidence, uh, uh -huh. you know, just falling in line with the leader. How just the slightest bit of political pressure, we see that our our, our elected officials will just fold like accordions, and it's just really uh, it's it's something that we really need to restore credibility uh, to our government, to our institutions. And again, that's why it's so important that uh, candidates like yourself. Are elected into office, and uh, these these accomplices to 
what, what can only be called, and I, and I really don't think this is hyperbole, it's, it's mass murder. This mm. pushing of herd immunity, of pushing people to go out without masks, regard, you know, knowing that it's going to kill thousands upon thousands of people. These people that are accomplices to this, this, uh, this, this denial of science and, and what ultimately will amount to a campaign of mass murder, these people need uh, need to be need to be out of office. They don't. They should not be in any position whatsoever where they're going to be in a decision in a, in a decision making position that they could in, that they could actually affect whether someone else lives or dies. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you're absolutely right that the, the our, our institutions have been under threat. They have been rolled back. Uh, we have not put scientists in the places that they need to be across multiple um, government agencies, notably the EPA. And they, a lot of the heads of these departments had been people who were cronies of Donald Trump and whose sole job under the Bannon Doctrine was to dismantle them. And for me, as somebody who's you know, been so heavily involved in public administration in terms of my research and my work around the world, that was very shocking and compelling for me in terms of my run to be able to come in and say, you know, point this out, because I think that a lot of people don't recognize the importance of these uh, institutions. And what I usually describe it as is that we really want our government to be running like an operating system, like Windows, right? Mm -hmm. You want it to just be in the background doing the things that we need it to do to live our lives automatically, right? And I'm sure that everybody's been upset at windows at some point in time. Right. But you never just say, Hey, let's go back to DOS. <laughs> right? Yeah, right. Nobody right. says that you say, okay, we'll just wait to the next version or the patch or whatever, because ultimately we need those things because it makes our lives better. That is how I envision our government too. Like we need roads and airports and, you know, we need um, trash management and, you know, we need security and defense and, you know, we need uh, institutions of education and things like that because that's what makes us stronger together. Um, and we just need to figure out better ways to make the government uh, more responsive in that way. So That's one last thing I want to um, talk about, just one pivot here towards the sure. end. Um, and that's water because, you know, we yeah. talked about climate change in the beginning, but the water is also the issue for us in southwest Florida with the lake overleases. That's really important mm -hmm. um, and how, you know, that really captured people a couple of years ago during the big uh, blue, green, algae and red tide outbreak, uh, the kind of twin disasters of the water that hurt people's health and hurt our economy. And that really put that on the radar of so many people where it hadn't been before. So especially considering that my opponent is taking dollars directly on the FEC reports very clearly from U.S. Sugars, American Crystals, as well as Mosaic. Tell me a little bit about from like the scientific perspective and, you know, the perspective of the D Democratic Environmental Caucus, you know, what should we really be thinking about in terms of water and water issues right now? Absolutely. So just a little bit of some historical background. So uh, when it goes all the way back the 1940s and 50s when Disney World was being built, 
Uh, there are a lot of bad septic systems, and there's a lot of bad septic systems in operation north of the lake, Lake Okeechobee, that uh, caused enormous amounts of uh, nutrient enrichment, particularly nitrate and phosphate. A lot, there's a lot of phosphate that is still in the lake that, that has been there for decades, and we call that legacy phosphorus. And that is a, a major nutrient that, uh, when it's released into the ocean, is what feeds that blue-green algae, uh, as well as Corinia uh, 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 brevis, which is the uh, which is a toxic uh, algae that produces red tide that can actually cause respiratory problems for people all the way up to three miles inland. Uh, if you breathe, if you breathe uh, breathe the air, uh, that's three miles away from the red tide. So it's actually really really wow. dangerous stuff. And uh, th this is a, a major threat, obviously, to our economy here, our, our beaches, uh, which is our national treasure here in Florida, uh, and, and, and as well as our health. And so all I, well, one thing I can say is thank God uh, that we're not going through, we don't have red tide right now. We're in the yeah. middle of a pandemic because that yeah. would aggravate uh, a lot of the COVID cases and would, ag and would aggravate the pre-existing respiratory conditions which uh, we, we know lead to mortality, uh, high mortality rates with COVID. Mm -hmm. So thank God it's not happening now like it was a couple of years ago. But uh, number one, that what we need to do and what we can have, uh, we can have efforts, we can have uh, put people to work right now uh, fixing our infrastructure with those septic systems. In addition mm -hmm. to that, we have uh, agricultural runoff. And so uh, just a little bit of a science background. Uh, so the way that uh, there's, there's nit nitrate and phosphate are unique nutrients. They're unique in that they're negatively charged. So if we think about, uh, you know, the, if we think back to, you know, basic positive, negative charges repel each other, right? If, uh, and so, I'm sorry, if negative and positive attract, if they're the same charge, they repel each other. And so soil is naturally negative, phosphate and nitrate are, are, are negative, they will, it, they tend to repel. And so they're more likely to be picked up by water and run off as opposed to being absorbed by soil. So that's right. why we have uh, from, whether it's from uh, agricultural use, animal waste, as well as fertilizer, that uh, all of that runoff eventually makes its way into Lake Okeechobee. Lake Okeechobee is, uh, even though it was at one time a natural lake, it is now uh, the main reservoir for, uh, for runoff uh, that, we that we have in the state. So the lake is extremely polluted. Uh, it ha it's, it's been polluted for some time and it continues to get more polluted. So when the lake levels get too high, they, we have discharges that will often happen after a major uh, storm, like a tropical storm or hurricane. And then when that gets released into the ocean, that now feeds nutrients into the ocean that, that the algae will start uh, proliferating and we have algal blooms uh, mm -hmm. that kill the, that, you know, algae requires two things, nutrients and light. So we have the we have the sunshine, we have the nutrients that's released into the ocean uh, and into our estuaries. We have uh, huge amounts of algae growth. The amount of dissolved oxygen goes down. The fish uh, die. The, 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 it wreaks havoc on our uh, uh, coral reef systems, and it's just absolutely devastating to our environment. It also threatens our water supply because if any of that gets into our groundwater, it also uh, it also is a major threat. So, uh, so now we have, uh, you know, uh, uh, going forward, we, we, there's a lot that can be done. So I mentioned uh, the refurbishing of the septic systems. At the same time, there's also sustainable farming techniques. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, when I, you know, I've, I, and I've written, uh, I've actually published on this, 
uh, about, for example, uh, uh, there's there's certain types of farming techniques such like the use of cover crops, uh, you know, we use a uh, cultivation of sugarcane on mineral soils, for example, uh, which can reduce uh, reduce the well, it can reduce the amount of subsidence, which is another issue. Uh, but there's sustainable techniques that we can subsidize and get tax credits for and have a comprehensive system that helps growers move to a more sustainable future. Right now, it's as if the growers uh, are at, at odds with the environment. So if you watch, yeah. you know, you listen to, you know, the, uh, you know, the agri a lot of people in the ag industry, they see the, the EPA as this, uh, this source of, of economic uh, strife for them. And so uh, there, there are alternative ways, and we can have a system that incentivizes and rewards that, and we can put people uh, to work in the process. So there's, there, we, we just, there's a lot that needs to be done, but it kind of goes back to the idea that these environmental realities, these scientific realities, uh, they are, uh, they're, they're true whether you believe it or not. And so <laughs> things like agricultural runoff, right. they're going to cause algal blooms. It doesn't. It doesn't matter if it's convenient for us or whether uh, whether it's something that we have the political will to stop. It, it it's it's going to happen regardless. And so we the the uh, or rather our, our policymakers or our our economic system has to adapt to those scientific realities, not the other way around. Just like we're seeing with COVID, COVID spreads whether we believe it or not. Algal blooms uh -huh. will occur in response to nutrients being released uh, into uh, offshore. These things happen whether we believe them or not. And so the uh, yeah. we we, we desperate when you leave these things unchecked, we see what happened. You know, a few years ago uh, in 2018 uh, with the blue green algae. Uh, another thing mm -hmm. I would add about our, our water resources here in Florida uh, is the the fact that so many Republicans, and I'm sure your opponent is among them, that is uh, heavily uh, heavily uh, funded by developers, right? And so, uh -huh. and unfortunately, I have to say, some even there's some politicians from our own party uh, that are also funded by developers, mm -hmm. and that's something that we certainly have to work work at within ourselves. And I should also mention that a lot of those, those uh, uh, big sugar also donates to Democrats. I guess they want to be in both. They want to have. They want to line. They want to donate. Uh -huh. to both, they want to uh, fund both sides so that you know nobody will. Uh, nobody will, will take any uh, measure that would threaten their profits. Right. Uh, but there's some things that, like I said, there's some things that can be done to help move the, that sugar uh, industry uh, into a more sustainable direction. But, uh, but again, going back to developing, uh, development, the Everglades is a, it's not, it's not just the fact that, you know, we, we, uh, we, we like looking at it and it's uh, aesthetically pleasing that we have, the Everglades and, uh, and and the ecosystem that you know it's not just the animals that live there. It's also provides enormous benefits to uh, to to us as people because yeah. it it uh, absorbs storm it absorbs uh, stormwater right. So mm -hmm. uh, if you fill in uh, wetlands like in the Everglades or uh, in Florida, that you're that is going to contribute to. Uh, flooding uh, because right. you're, there's nowhere for the water to go. Water can't right. seep through asphalt. It right. sits on top of asphalt. And so if you just continue to develop and, and uh, fill in these wetlands, you're going to create 
uh, a, 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 a you're going to create a, a, a landscape that is extremely vulnerable to flooding, and it's going to become more difficult for talk about the economic cost. Uh, there's insurance companies that have completely left Florida for this very reason, uh, and it's going to become harder and more expensive to get insurance. And the developers aren't going to pay us. In fact, that our premiums are going to go up. Are the developers going to pay us for that? No, that's going to be externalized onto the rest of us uh, because now we are sitting ducks uh, for flooding, for, for flooding, having our houses flood uh, if there's a hurricane. So now our premiums are going to double. They're going to increase dramatically. Uh, or, or it's just not going to be available at all. And so now, um, um, I'm not sure I just heard a sound there, but uh, so that's something that, that has to also be part of the discussion. And it's hard, it's hard for some people to go from point A to B to C or to see the, rela the relationship between those things. But uh, development, if, you, if, we, if we continue to develop in, in an unsustainable manner, we are going to be sitting ducks for, for flooding. And so, you know, one, yep. you know we, and we've seen, and again, the, 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 one of the points I just definitely want to say before we go is uh, what we've seen with COVID and what we saw, we had a little bit of a taste of with the blue, with the blue green algal blooms from 2018 is it doesn't take a lot for mother nature to bring us as, as a human civilization to, to our knees. Uh, mm. And if you, if, like, if you screw with mother nature, she's going to, she's going to screw you back much worse yep. and might not survive. That's the overall message. And it's <laughs> going to happen on a huge scale uh, with yep. climate change if we don't, uh, we don't have policy that's, that is considering the implications of what you're doing. And so uh, that's why it's so important that, uh, that Cindy, we get, we get you elected uh, on <laughs> November you. 3rd. And, um, and uh, because I know that you're going to provide such excellent leadership uh, when it comes to environmental uh, policy and sustainability. Yeah, well, thank you. I, I really appreciate that. And I really just love how you said um, these things happen whether you believe them or not. Yep. Right. That's and that's true. That's absolutely true. COVID is happening whether you believe it or not. Um, and climate change is happening whether you believe it or not. And we have, you know, blue green algae, red tide happening, whether people believe it or not. And And there's a human factor to a lot of these components. And that's happening whether or not people believe it or not. And um, I, I just, I think that's, that's a really powerful statement. So thank you for that. Um, so, and, and I, I do appreciate, you know, like I said, I am endorsed by the Democratic Environmental Caucus of Florida and I really appreciate that endorsement. I, I also am endorsed by Vote Water, um, which is a nonpartisan group that um, focuses on, uh, you know, water quality issues. You know, um, they're they're a little bit different sometimes in terms of uh, some of the things that they help promote, but definitely they saw in me a champion for our water, and they've given me a hundred percent rating where um, and the endorsement for this seat. And my opponent um, does not have a good uh, rating with them at all. And um, I'm also. Uh, endorsed by the uh, Florida Rights of Nature Network, as well as the Center for Biological Diversity. So um, I and I am a signatory to the uh, the Florida uh, Climate Change and Economic Development Initiative, mm -hmm. the Florida Green New Deal. Uh, and I'm very proud to be a signatory of that. And I'm going to work uh, with our Florida legislature to uh, get what we need from the federal government to enact that uh, really, really important environmental 
program here in Florida. So, um, you know, thank you, Dr. Ventries, for being here. But just before we leave, is there any like final um, parting thoughts or any way that we should connect or contact or support uh, your work or your organizations? Yeah, so uh, so I, we do encourage, we, we, do, we want as many people that would like to join, uh, become members of the Democratic Environmental Caucus. All you have to be is a, be is a registered Democrat. We welcome you uh, to join. So if you just go online to uh, the Democratic Environmental Caucus of Florida, uh, you can check us out. You can join us. You can check out our Facebook page. Uh, I have a live stream myself. Uh, you, you've been on it, uh, which I really appreciate yes. uh, that we uh, talk to candidates that we've endorsed as well as activists and and, and others that uh, that care about our environment here in Florida, and so uh, we uh, so we're, 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 we try to be as active as possible. Uh, we do have we also have uh, legislative report cards, uh, which I'm sure uh, once you're elected, you'll be you'll be getting straight A's. I'm sure on on, on all <laughs> yes. environmental issues. Uh, so we we do keep track of uh, what the uh, candidates do, and I think that's really important because. Sometimes, you know, you have Republicans even that will come out and say they're pro-environment, but of course their voting record reflects the exact opposite of that. So right. we actually do keep track of, uh, of our voting record. We do have, you know, our, our caucus is a, a little unique uh, in that we do have a lot of scientists in our caucus, which is why I love our, ca I love our caucus so much. I'm, I'm not the only scientist in there. Uh, <laughs> and so we, uh, we, we definitely are, are very data-driven, science-driven, uh, and uh, do our best to work with candidates uh, uh, such as yourself that care about these uh, care about these issues uh, and uh, we're, we're always there to support uh, in any way we can we're doing phone banking right now uh, and, uh, and and so so absolutely we're we're there for you uh, every step of the way uh, including after you're elected uh, to try to help with uh, with communication and messaging and uh, trying to get the uh, word out there to to, to get our uh, to get our voters in Florida uh, more educated uh, as as to these issues uh, and to get more involved. Uh, and of course, as always, uh, we, you know, everybody, I know we're probably preaching to the choir here on this podcast, but uh, if, I'm sure everyone here has probably already voted that's listening, but uh, get anyone else, every living, breathing uh, a Democrat needs to, uh, to go out and vote. So definitely encourage uh, everyone uh, to go out and vote, uh, whether it's the last few days we have left of early voting or on election day, we need every single vote. We can't take anything for granted. So. Um, you know, if you, if, you, if, you, if you guys like, if, ever, if you like what you're hearing, go vote for Cindy, please. We need her. We need her so badly. Yes. So, um, thank you. Yes. I love that. And thank you so much for that resounding endorsement and as well as the, yeah, the, you know, the pitch for everybody to get out and vote. Absolutely. We're coming up here on the last two days of early voting here, ending on October 31st here in Florida. And then uh, also then we have election day, November 3rd coming up. So uh, we need everybody to vote. Uh, the numbers in my district are showing that, you know, if we can get people to turn out and vote that we have a, a an excellent shot at flipping this district. And I, before we part, I do want to give one last pitch for the Democratic Environmental Caucus. Uh, the report cards are amazing. They really distill down the record of our elected officials. And um, as a voter previously, I was very uh, reliant on them to understand uh, what my representatives were and were not doing. So I just want to say thank you and absolutely you should check that out. And that will be the end of our show here today. So thank you once again, uh, Dr. Uh, Jeffrey Ventries for being with us today. Thank you so much. Uh, and go, uh, go out and vote for Cindy, everyone.
Thanks so much. Thanks yes, so much. I love that. <laughs> All right. Perfect. Thank you so much. And uh, we're going to see everybody next time. Stay healthy and safe. And thanks for joining us here today on Dr. Cindy Speaks. Thanks for listening to this episode of Dr. Cindy Speaks. If you'd like to learn more about her campaign, go to cindybanyay.com or connect with her directly at vote at cindybanyay.com. We love connecting with people. Contents of this podcast are paid for and approved by friends of Sandy Banyay.